If you have your Bibles or your smartphones, go ahead and make your way to Psalm 142. We'll get to that in about 30 minutes. Uh, I want to do an intro uh, if, in case you weren't here last week. We missed you, but uh, we're doing a series on biblical lamenting. Uh, last week we looked at Habakkuk and how he lamented. And then um, today we're going to be looking at David. And biblical lamenting is, um, I believe it's something that we need to do every day of our lives, especially since we find ourselves living in a chaotic world where we just don't even know what to believe, what to uh, embrace. And so I have learned in my own individual journey how important and how beautiful biblical lamenting is that I just felt like the Lord had pressed it upon my heart to bring it to you all um, in this two-week series. And so uh, if you weren't here last week, there's four phrases. And if you were here last week, I hope you have these memorized already because you already found yourself uh, lamenting this past week. But there's four phrases that we're going to look at. The first one is you got to turn to God. Turn to God. Uh, we don't turn to each other. And I'll, I'll, I'll uh, flush this out here in a minute, but we turn to God first. And then we complain. Uh, we pour everything out that's in us. And then the third thing is we ask boldly. We ask boldly. And then the fourth is we trust. Or another way that I like to think of it is we receive his promises. Uh, and, and so I have... Um, I don't know if anybody in here can relate to me. There was quite a few people in first service, actually. And so I like hot coffee, and I like iced coffee. But what is it with hot coffee that gets cold and you can't drink it? Anybody like that? Like, I, I love a hot, I have two cups of hot coffee in the morning every day. But about halfway through the first cup, it gets warm. And then I'm the idiot that doesn't put it in a microwave to heat it up. I pour it out and get a fresh cup of coffee. But I cannot stand lukewarm coffee. It's just weird. It's like I went to a counselor one time, and he couldn't help me because he had the same issue. So anyway, um, and so I don't know what it is about this idea of lukewarm coffee, but it doesn't work for me. And so, uh, so a lot of times um, when I'm doing some yard work, uh, I sweat a lot. And so I have to drink a lot of water. And so I wanted to put water in there. So <laughs> just in case. Uh, and so uh, I uh, will sometimes get a cup of water and I'll sit it on the, the, the table in the kitchen and I'll go out and do some yard work and then I'll come back in and I forget and I take that first sip, and it's like all over the kitchen table. And then I'm like, hey, kids, can you come here and wipe up my mess for me? Um, and they're, they're, of course, great kids. are like, yes, Father, we will be happy to do that for you. Anyway, and, and so um, that illustration of cup being half full, uh, I want to, that idea, just a little bit of humor, but that idea, I want to help you understand what I'm talking about when it comes to biblical lamenting. Because sometimes I think we do lament to the Lord, but I don't think we empty our cups, okay? And there's a word for us even right there this morning. So we'll, we'll pour some of it out, and then we're like, mm, I want to hang on to this. I'm, and I, I don't know why we do that. I, I guess because of our sinful nature. But the problem is with just that little bit that's still in the cup, that's a foothold for Satan, and so biblical lamenting means I first turn to God and I pour everything out to him. I pour and I pour and I shake and I get everything out of me to the Lord. I complain so that 
I can then receive what he has for me, which is good and truthful and promising. And he just, with the empty cup, he then, uh, because I'm in his word, he fills me up with his word. And then, I, I love Psalm 34, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's good. That's biblical lamenting, friends. It's this idea of pouring ourselves out. And so we looked at that last week with Habakkuk. And today we're going to look at David. Now, I, I, I want to go on a journey, and it's a kind of a lengthy um, introduction to the sermon before we get to the text. But I want us to journey with David because I want us to see where he's come from, what he's had to deal with, and why he's lamenting in Psalm 142. And so David enters into the story of God's word as a shepherd. He's a young boy out taking care of the sheep. In fact, he has older brothers who are taller, uh, stronger than him. In fact, Saul was king over Israel, but Saul became very foolish in his ways. And the Lord said to Samuel, the prophet, we've got to remove Saul and his kingdom, and we've got to give it to someone else. I, I have a vision here. I have a journey, and it's not going to be through Saul. It's going to be through somebody else. And I have somebody in mind, but I want you to go, Samuel, and I want you to anoint him. And he lives in the household in Bethlehem of the son of Jesse. And so Samuel goes, no clue who the person is. In fact, we know that because as soon as we start reading in 1 Samuel 16, Saul or Samuel walks in and the first son of Jesse that he sees, he's like, oh yeah, we're going to make a difference with this cat. Like, dude is ready to go. And the Lord says, no. And then the next son, next, I mean, six sons, and, and each time Samuel's like, it's got to be this one. It's, it's got to, no. Okay, so Samuel's now all of a sudden going, shoot, I have the wrong house. <laughs> Man, this is embarrassing, awkward. Uh, and so Samuel goes, is, you got anybody else? And they're like, and Jesse's like, nope. And, you know, one of the brothers is like, dad, David. Oh, yeah, David. So uh, Samuel goes, we're, we're not moving a muscle until David's back here. Where do they have to go? They have to go out into the field among sheep to find David. They bring David back. David walks in. And all of a sudden the spirit falls upon Samuel and says, that's the one. Why does the Lord choose David? Well, David is a man of integrity. He's a man of humility. God has been watching David out in the fields taking care of sheep. By the way, you realize the lowliest job in the family in those days was being a sheeper. That's the lowliest job. And yet, David, <laughs> I love it. David is like, I find great joy in my life in taking care of the sheep because once I get the sheep taken care of, I have some quiet time with the Lord. In fact, Psalm uh, 78 talks about David's integrity. It, it kind of reveals to us why God chose David. He was a man of integrity. So if you and I were sheep herders and we had a thousand sheep and a bear came and grabbed one of our sheep, we're kind of like, ah, you lose some. You just kind of move on, right? I hope the bear is happy. But I have to tell you, that's not David at all. 
One matters to David. One. That's a message in itself. And so David sees this bear with the sheep in his mouth and he goes after the bear because that sheep is his sheep. That's integrity. That's humility. And as God is watching this man day in and day out, faithfully taking care of sheep, he's thinking if he's faithful with the small things, then he could be in charge of bigger things. Hmm, I like this guy. And not only was God moved by that, but then God would go, he's playing songs to me. He's declaring my majesty. (laughs) I want him to be the king of Israel because of his integrity and humility. So, so here's David now. He's still, let's, let's kind of backtrack. Uh, he's still taking care of sheep. And uh, as soon as he's anointed as the king over Israel, do you know what he does immediately? I love this. He goes right back out to the sheep. It's like winning a lottery ticket and going, oh boy, I can't wait to call my boss tomorrow and tell him goodbye. But not David. David says, okay, uh, as he's wiping the oil out of his eyes, he's like, okay, well, that was, I'm going back out to the sheep. Isn't that, I mean, come on, that's beautiful. And then Saul begins to, because of his foolishness, begins to have a dark spirit upon him, and he likes music, right? And, 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 and so he's like, man, find me someone who can play. And they're like, man, we, we heard this, this solo guy, like he should start a band, but he he won't, but he plays a mean harp. I mean, like, who's not up for a mean harp right now? All right? And so they're like, this guy, David, he plays this harp, and we've heard him in the distance. And so you want us to go get him? And the king's like, yeah. So David would come in and periodically would play the harp for Saul, and Saul's spirit would be lifted, and he would find peace. And then when Saul was content, you know what David would do? See ya, got to go take care of the sheep. Love it. And then, eventually, Saul says, I really want this guy in my presence all the time. Someone go get him. Where's he at? Well, I'm guessing he's probably out with the sheep because he's a man of integrity. That's David. That's David at a young age. Now, the story in 1 Samuel 17, classic story, even if you haven't been around the church, you always hear the story of David and Goliath. Now, so here's the deal. Goliath is this like giant, and he's been intimidating the Israelites for 40 days. 40 days. Like there are some very strong men in the Israelite army, and yet none of them, every one of them is paralyzed. They can't move. And so Goliath is standing here, and so one day David shows up with some, some cheese and crackers for the, for the people and, and says, what's going on? He sees the situation and goes, well, let me take care of it today. And they're all like, that's cute, David. That's real cute. David's like, no, man. I mean, every day of my life I'm fighting, I'm fighting some kind of beast. What in the, this guy's got nothing. Plus, I love 1 Samuel 17. If you read it, you'll notice in 1 Samuel 17 that David mentions God nine times and mentions Goliath twice. So that means David is twice consumed with God than he is the giant. 
That's a good place to be, friends. A lot of times in our lives, we are twice consumed by the giant than we are the Lord. I say this morning, we turn that around. That we realize just how big God is. And we learn how big God is when we spend time with the Lord. And so David is like, not only have I been practicing every day, but the Lord will be victorious. You don't, I love David going, you don't talk about God like that. We're going to do something about it. And he does. He knocks him out. And then we stop there, VBS story. We don't want the kids to hear the rest of the story. But, man, he pulls out that sword and he chops that head off. All right? Sorry, parents. But it's amazing. And all, but here's the problem. Here's what creates. This is where things get sour. Beautiful moment. David just, I mean, with pure motives, pure motives, just standing before a holy God, giving glory to God. And all of a sudden, people go, David has killed his 10,000. Saul's has killed his 1,000. And how do you think that lands for Saul? Jealousy. So much so that Saul's like, I, I, I want David gone. I want him dead. So put this into perspective. So for the next eight and a half years, David would be on the run. So to put this in our minds, imagine being on the run since 2012. 2012. Some of you weren't even born. A few. I see a few. I see a few. Eight and a half years. No peace. No peace. Like he has to sleep with one eye open. He has to sleep in strange places, probably under bushes, so that he cannot be spotted. That's how intense Saul is. And scripture kind of debatable, but anywhere from 12 to 14 times that, that Saul tried to kill David. So we come to 1 Samuel chapter 21. And now David has come to this point of going, I don't know what else to do. You been there? Somebody in this room has been there. I don't know what else to do. I'm trying to do what is right. I'm trying to do what is best. And I just can't do it anymore. And I don't know what to do. That's where David is. And so you know what David does? He crosses over into enemy territory. He's hanging out at Gath, which happens to be the home of Goliath. In the land of the Philistines, who happened to be the biggest enemy at that time to the Israelites. And so David decides to go to the enemies just to find some peace. It'd be like us amongst Christians, and we can't find any peace. And so we think, man, i got to find some peace, so I think I'm going to step over and just hang out with some pagan sinners. I'm going to go to Las Vegas and hang out in Las Vegas. And the people out in Las Vegas go, we don't want anything to do with you either. That's where David's at. Even his enemies are like, get out of here. Just go. And I want you to sit there for a moment and just take that in. That's where David is. Emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 22 verse 1 it says that he goes into the cave of Adullam or Adullam. However you want to pronounce it. Tomatoes, tomatoes, potatoes, potatoes, all right? He's in the cave. He's alone. Let me tell you what he's lost. He's lost his family. He's lost his job. 
He's lost his wife. He's lost his mentor, Samuel. He's lost his best friend, Jonathan. And he's lost his self-respect. No food, no security, done. That's where David's at. All because he's been trying to be obedient to the Lord. Can we just be honest this morning and go, what the heck, Lord? Huh. So that brings us to Psalm 142. And the verses will be up on the screen. So Habakkuk last week, and so Sunday night, it was, it was kind of fun. Sunday night, I was, I was tired. I got my kids down to sleep, and I, I go to my desk, and I'm like, all right. So we, there's 50 psalms in uh, the book of Psalms that are laments. So now I've got 50 to choose from. Well, thankfully, some of those are corporate laments and uh, other kind of laments. And there's 28 individual laments in the book of Psalms uh, that David. So I started at 28. And finally got down to 12, got down to 7, and then I got down to the final three. And uh, I want to tell you what the final three are because I would love for you to spend some time in these three psalms this week because they're all three laments. And they're pretty intense laments from David. But Psalm 13 is a powerful lament of David. Psalm 55 is a, I, I really like that one, but it was too long to be able to preach. And then the last one I landed on was Psalm 142. Seven verses, I thought, hey, i uh, got plenty of time to walk through seven verses, much more than 22 verses. And so, uh, so Sunday night, I had those three down and I sort of kind of already had 142 in my mind. But I thought, oh, I want to get up in the morning, Monday morning, have my uh, half warm cup of coffee on the back deck. And, uh, and so I landed on Psalm 142. And so now that you understand the context of where David's at. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Let's look at these next seven verses, shall we? So up on the screen, biblical lamenting. Turn to God, complain, ask boldly, trust. Here's what happens. Verse 1, I cried out to the Lord. See it? I didn't cry out to Jesse. I didn't cry out to Samuel. I didn't cry out to Jonathan. I cried out to the Lord. Again, I want to remind you the importance of learning how to not complain with each other is because our responsibility is to build up the body. Our responsibility is to encourage the body. Every time you and I complain to each other, we're tearing down. We're giving Satan a foothold. We need to stop complaining to each other. I'm guilty of that more than anybody else in this room. But we have to stop there and we have to learn to turn to God first. By the way... So you understand the intensity of this moment. Anyone who is connected to David has now become a threat to Saul. So if David goes to Samuel with a complaint, guess what David does to Samuel? Pits him in harm's way. And, and if he goes to Jonathan to complain, guess what he does? He pits Jonathan in harm's way with his own father. And so when you and I complain to each other, do you know what we are doing? We're putting each other in harm's way with the enemy. We've got to stop, friends, I'm telling you, because we have been given this amazing invitation to turn to the Lord and give him our complaints and to pour them out, like pour them out to the Lord. Pour, 
poor. And then we fill ourselves up with the Lord. And then all of a sudden, guess what I am to you? A blessing. Now, I still need community. Please understand. I need to be surrounded by people who are with me. Because Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, We should carry each other's burdens, thus fulfilling the law of the Lord. But there's a healthy way of carrying each other's burdens. And let me tell you an unhealthy way. That is complaining. It is time now to turn to the Lord, pour ourselves out, and then let Lord pour into us. That way I can be fun with you. And so David's in the cave all by himself. He says, I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. Now, when I read scripture, and I want to say this. This is really important. If you're on a reading plan, praise the Lord. I'm glad that you do that. That keeps you moving in the right direction. But don't be about the plan to check it off, please. Don't make reading the Bible some kind of an idolatry. Like you're going to get a gold medallion if you have all the check marks in. No, 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 no. Take your time and savor the word of God. Like take Psalm 142 and just spend your whole week there and say, speak to me, Lord. Talk to me. And so every time I open up scripture, I always start off with the prayer because I'm always like, Lord, I'm about to do something sacred. I'm opening up your holy word and I'm going to eat it. So would you please like show up? And then I read it slowly and I allow myself to get into it. So one, Psalm 142, Monday morning, I, could, I visualize David coming into the cave. He is a broken man. He's got nothing left. He is absolutely empty of himself. And he's simply going, mercy, 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 mercy. It's like the, the guy in the temple who, who walks into the temple and he couldn't even lift up his head. And all he could do was beat his chest and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which, by the way, is a powerful prayer, if you think about it. Just that prayer alone with your heart involved in it is one of the most powerful prayers in the Bible. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. David, I see David laying down on the ground with his forehead on his arms, his face in the dirt, and all he keeps saying over and over and over is, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. Isn't that beautiful? Do you know what he's declaring about his God? (laughs) That his God is a merciful God. Oh, God, you are mercy, and I am pleading with you for mercy. Man, I, uh, what, what Psalm 8 that says, David says, what am I that you would be mindful of me? That's the attitude that David has. Like, I can't believe that I get to, to do this with you. Would you have mercy on me as I, I'm about to complain? I got to get it out, Lord. I'm just dying on the inside. So please, Lord, please, let me just pour this out. Let me just get this out. And the Lord's like, come on, come on, baby, come on. Get it out. Get it out. I plead for the Lord's mercy. Verse 2, I poured out my complaints. There it is. The word complaint. I'm not making it up. Get your complaints out to him. I poured out my complaints before him, and I told him about all my troubles. I cannot even imagine the length of time that David took in this moment. 
I'm not talking two minutes of, here's my list. I'm talking pouring his troubles out. Isn't that great that the Lord's like, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden? If we need to be here for a while. Hey, listen, spend some time with Elijah. I mean, I am so glad the story of Elijah is in the Bible. Elijah wanted to die, by the way. After he experienced God in, like, if you and I experienced God in that way, we'd walk away going, what was Elijah's problem? Because Elijah then experienced God in a powerful way and then wanted to die. Laid under a broom tree and said, let me die. And do you know what the Lord did? The Lord judged him and just beat him down. No. You know what the Lord did? Oh, Sleep, sleep. And when you wake up and you need something to eat, I've got an angel here. It's got some cinnamon rolls ready for you. <laughs> and some actual hot coffee, right? And then Elijah eats, and then what does he do? The Lord says, go back to sleep. Oh, come on. That's the faithfulness of this God that we serve. Let him have it. And Elijah was so worn out that Elijah couldn't even utter any words. Which I'm thankful that Romans 8 says that if all that we can muster out of our mouths is a, that the Holy Spirit receives it and interprets it. David says, I just, I'm going to pour out all my troubles, Lord. When I'm overwhelmed, you, Lord, alone know the way that I should turn. But here's my problem, Lord. Please hear me. Wherever I turn, wherever I turn, wherever I go, my enemies. Can you imagine? Since 2012? I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me, and no one cares a bit what happens to me. We've been there. I have to ask myself sometimes, why isn't God enough? Why isn't the promise that God never leaves me nor forsakes me not enough? Why do I always feel like I have to have something with flesh on it? A person who's just as jacked up as I am. Friends, we got to get to this place where God is enough. And even if no one else is reaching out to us, we're okay because we are in the presence of a holy God. She said amen. <laughs> so what does he do? Verse 5. I prayed to you, O Lord, and I declare my promises. Right? When we empty ourselves. Oh, mercy, mercy, mercy. Here's all my troubles, Lord. You get all my troubles. Uh, you get Here, my cup's ready. What do you have? And God says, here's my promises. And you know what my promises are for you, David? I am your refuge. I am your portion in the land of the living. That's biblical lamenting. Turn to the Lord, complain, ask. We're getting ready to look at the ask part. But verse 5 says, but you are my refuge. You are my portion in the land of the living. And because you are, here's what I want to ask boldly of you, Lord. Hear my cry. Because I am, I'm, I'm low right now. Would you rescue me from my persecutors? For they are way too much for me. That's where he's at. 
If I go here, boom, they're there. If I go there, I mean, I want to go forward, they're there. I can't go forward, I'll go backwards, they're there. Everywhere. Since 2012. Oh, my gosh. And so he's like, so I'm going to ask boldly, would you deliver me from my persecutors? Would you bring me out of this prison? I mean, he, I mean, eat those words. He feels like he's in a prison. Bring me out of this prison so I can continue to thank you. And so the godly will crowd around me, not because of what I've done, but because of your faithfulness to me, Lord. That's the heartbeat of why we biblically lament. It's because at the end of it, we want his glory to be known. And David's situation here is, I only want you to do this, Lord, because I want people to know of your faithfulness. So good. Psalm 57, we got to go quickly. I'm running out of time. Psalm 57 is going to come up on the screen. No commentaries. This is a, by the way, uh, scholars believe there are three Psalms that David wrote while he was in the cave of Adullam. Now, Psalm 34 sort of kind of is a, a lament before he's kind of in that cave. But then Psalm 57 and Psalm 142 are laments that David cries out in the cave with the Lord. And so Psalm 57, I'm just going to read it. No commentation. And here's what it says. Jesus, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy. I look to you for protection. I hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. That's good. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. And then he says this, my heart is confident in you, O Lord. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will make, I will wake the dawn with my song. Wake up tomorrow morning before the sun and bring that sun up with praises. Now that will move the heart of God. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over the earth. That's a biblical lament. You see what he did? He poured out. And then he received the promises of God. And his cup was full. And we may need to do that every day. And the Lord says, I'm okay with that. Now, last warning before we're done. Stay with me. You've been awesome. This one's a little bit hard to swallow. But I want to be honest with you. When you biblically lament, I believe wholeheartedly the Lord will respond. I do. but there's a really good chance that he's going to respond differently than what you expected. Okay? Isaiah reminds us his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are, are, are higher than our thoughts. God is for us. He's not against us. He is before us. 
He delights in us. He sings over us with rejoicing. So please understand that what he decides for us, even after we lament to him, is good. Is good. So here's David with his two complaints. Number one, I'm alone. And number two, could you please rescue me from my persecutors? You want to know how God responds to David's biblical lament? So here's David in the cave all by himself. He's just poured himself out. I don't know if it's days, weeks, months, years. We don't know. It's always funny because we read verse 1 and verse 2 and we think that it happens immediately, but that's not always the case. There could be years in between verse 1 and verse 2. But the reality is David's in the cave, and you know what God, how God answers his prayers? Sends him 400 men who are in debt, bitter, and discontent. You know, if I'm starting a church, those are the three things I'm looking for. <laughs> that sounds like a good way to start. That's what the Lord sends to David. David's going, did I miss something? Are you serious right now? David's probably more focused on, could you like deliver me from my persecutors? And God's answering his first prayer of, you said you were alone. Yes, Lord, I am alone, but this is not the group of people that I thought you would surround me with. But by the way, do you know what God does with those men? By the way, they have a nickname called the Mighty Men of David. And you know what they did for Israel? They brought some peace in the land. So please understand that when we biblically lament to the Lord, he's going to respond but it's going to look different than what we were expecting. And you know what? We have to be at peace with that. For he is good and his love endures forever. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come before you and we are so thankful for Psalm 142. I'm so thankful for Habakkuk. I'm so thankful for the book of Job. I'm so thankful for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's so many, so many verses, so many chapters, Lord, where we see men and women just in distress. And what do they do? They bring their complaints to you, Lord. I'm so grateful that they exist in the scriptures. So, Lord, right now in our time of prayer, I pray that each and every one of us would embrace this beautiful invitation that we've been given, that we can turn to you about anything, everything, anytime, anywhere. We can turn to you in faith. We can pour out our complaints to you. We can ask. But most importantly, Lord, I pray that we trust because you are a trustworthy God. You love us with steadfast love, steadfast love, love that's unmoved a love that's not changed by any means. We have this beauty of just coming before you and just crying. And it moves your heart. You love it. So many times in the scriptures you declare, come to me, come, come. So even right now, Lord, in Isaiah 64, we say, rend the heavens and come down. We're in the heavens, Lord, and come down and fall upon us. Oh, that we would taste and see that you are good. You are such a good father. 
And so I pray, Lord, that we would learn to turn to you. And Lord, if there's somebody here in this room this morning, I do not want this moment to pass by. But Lord, if there's a, uh, an individual in this room that has not received you, Lord, then I pray that they spiritually know right now that you are standing at the door and you're knocking. And you are saying to them, individual, individually, you're saying to them, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if you hear my voice and you open up the door, if you let me in, then I will come and I will dine with you and you will dine with me. And you say, I will bring you into the banqueting table and I will put my banner of love over you. And all you simply have to do is just open up the door. Lord, if there's somebody here this morning to embrace your son Jesus for the first time, would they with courage and boldness raise their hand to let us know? Thank you. And for the rest of us, Lord, may we learn to surrender and trust and pour ourselves out so that you can pour your promises into us so that we can continue to be a blessing for your glory, for your honor. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.